Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Freedom Filled Life podcast. I'm your host, Shay Brown, one of the founders of the Bucket List Bombshells. Now, today I'm sitting down with the founder of a nonprofit called Multilingual and Philanthropic Inc., where she teaches people how to learn, read, and write a new language. So, Jazz Cole is our guest today. She actually speaks over 10 different languages, which is just fascinating and absolutely incredible. She's also a world traveler as well, I'm sure, using her multiple languages in multiple countries around the world and now teaching people how to do the same. She is also a Buckleist Bombshells Academy alumni, one of our former students, and Buckleist Bombshells Collective member. So without further ado, let's dive in and chat with Jazz today about her nonprofit business and her passion for bringing affordable education to those who want to learn a new language. Have you always dreamed of launching an online business? Well, you're in just the right place because we recently launched a brand new program called Bucket List Bombshells Launch Camp. This is an eight-week live group program for 30 women who are ready to launch an online service-based business in 2024. If you're ready to be your own boss, do work you're passionate about, have that work-life balance you're craving, and build your own legacy, then you're ready to apply to grab one of the 30 spots in Bucketless Bombshells Launch Camp. You can find all the program details and how to apply at bucketlessbombshells.com slash launch camp, or check the show notes for the link. We can't wait to help you finally hit launch on your business in 2024. All right, let's get back to today's episode. So welcome to the podcast, Jazz. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, happy. I'm happy to be here, actually. Amazing. So before we dive into your full story, can you tell us about the business you own and the services that you offer? Okay. Yeah. So kind of people kind of feel like it's not necessarily a business, quote unquote, because it's nonprofit, but nonprofits, technically you can run them as a, as a business because either way you still have to manage it like it is one, you know? And so with multilingual and philanthropic it is basically the services we mainly offer is I do private uh, language teaching. So that mainly is French, German, and Spanish. And my most requested one is French for the most part. We're also in the process of offering, actually working on new projects. So part of it does include online courses, which are coming soon. And then also we basically do give off a lot of kind of free resources, which you'll find on our website. So every resource I've ever found, used, even instructed with, you'll usually find that on the website as well. Amazing. I'm excited for you to transition into online courses. I think it's such a great space for you to be in when it comes to teaching language and just being able to connect with even more people on more of a mass scale by having an accessible product like an online course. So I want to rewind just a little bit and talk about how and when you started your business. So where did this idea come from and what did it look like to start your own online business? Yeah, it actually didn't start out as what it is now because I actually intend, I was actually doing freelance as a technical designer because my background and my education is fashion design and apparel technical design. So I was that person that Everyone wants to create their own clothing line, but it's like they never really know the technical aspects of how to actually put it together. So that was what I was doing um, up until the pandemic. That was my job was just technical design. And originally, like I had started 
the idea came from the fact that my experience when I studied abroad in Paris for the first time was my last year in college. And when you are the only person who speaks fluent French and you're kind of, it's like, oh, like I'm struggling and people are so rude. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. You know, I was, you know, I went, I was going off on my own. I went to a church and then apparently like people are just really fascinated because they're like, you're an American and you speak French really well. Why? <laughs> it's like, this is unusual. So I was like, I was even asked out a couple of times. I was asked to go to lunch with like a bunch of friends. And I actually got like a lot of contacts out of that. And I realized why is not, why does, doesn't everyone have the same experience? So I originally started out as a blog trying to give information about how you can effectively learn a language, but learn it in a way where it's for professional use. And it's also for people who want to use it in terms of living and making like actual connections and friendships with people who don't speak the same language and just overall broadening the people you can talk to. Then it was like, maybe I want to write a book about it. But then I was like, a book, you have to get the right people to receive it. Like you have to put it in people's hands. And it's like, if you're not like Michelle Obama, it's really hard to be a bestseller if people don't know who you are already. So I was like, we need to make a platform. So that's where the movement came from. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And I decided to make it a nonprofit because there was a community mission to it because I felt like overall the mission is that we're really just making connections with people who just happen to not speak the same language. We're like, no matter where you are in the world, it's like somebody is wondering what they're going to eat tomorrow, you know, or what they're going to eat later on. Like, you know, like, what are we going to have for dinner? You know, there's plenty of people around the world talking to their parents or spouse or whoever about how hungry they are. And they're like, let's go get food, you know? So overall, we're really, we're really saying the same things. We're all talking about relatively the same things. So it was more of like, I just wanted to create something where I could also build a brand out of, so I can do something of my own um, as well. What a fun story. And let me just tell you, I studied abroad in France as well. And I was on the opposite spectrum of not knowing the language and struggling. And I didn't make very many local friends. I made some at the university, of course, but they spoke English. And I stuck mostly to the friendships and the connections that I had from business school that we were all there together. So it's so amazing hearing the experience that you had in France that led you to building this passion project business. And I love that because my study abroad in France was what led me to want to travel the world. And and in my scenario, I figured out how to work online to pay my way to do that. So it's really cool that we both have a really uh, similar origin story just with, with the connection with France. So that that's really cool. And you, you talked a little bit about what motivated you to start a nonprofit, but I would love to get a little bit deeper into that. You know, why did you decide to do a nonprofit versus a for-profit service-based business, which in your space of teaching language is very common. I've hired lots of language coaches over the years and they were for-profit service-based business. So I'm really curious if you could just dive a little deeper and tell us what is it about the nonprofit route that really uh, enticed you to go that way? Yeah, so nonprofit, I'm more so familiar with because my parents have had a nonprofit for just about 30 plus years so far. And their nonprofit really started about trying to spread culture into the community because I live in 
like a medium-sized city in Kentucky where when my dad first moved here, because my dad originally is from Alabama and he moved to Cleveland where he was raised. And then he moved to Kentucky where he went to school and just my mom and, you know, everything else is history. But it's like he moved here and he's like, there's not a lot of stuff for, you know, people when it comes to events around diversity a lot of events where people don't have to go out of town like people are going to Cincinnati people are going to like Atlanta they're going to Louisville just so that they can you know have you know fun on the weekend and it's like why not create events where we can do that here so it kind of keeps the demographic growing here and they've made a really big impact through that and with nonprofit it's more so as um, I feel like the main difference with nonprofit and for-profit is you just don't pay taxes. But the thing is you can make yourself technically an employee. So you can pay, you can be paid stipends. Um, sometimes I have certain things that are compensated like uh, with rent, like about 10% goes towards my, my rent. Um, 10% um, is paid for by my nonprofit because I have a home office there. So it's like a little bit more leeway for-profit. It's, I mean, it's more, like, I felt like it's just more, again, it's, it's profit driven and it's, that's what basically driving your revenue for you to kind of stay afloat. Whereas nonprofit, you have more funding, like you have grants mm-hmm. you can apply for. There are people who will donate because people get tax deductibles when they donate. So that's like a big incentive for people to give. So mm-hmm. it's like you have more streams of potential revenue. The only difference is that profit, it just doesn't go to you. It goes back into whatever it is that you want to fund like community projects. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that and giving that extra insight into, you know, the structure of a nonprofit versus a for-profit business. And that kind of, you answered this a little bit, but one of my questions was, I was curious to how do you receive funding or do you have to uh, put on events? Like I've seen nonprofits host benefits and different events because they have really lofty, high goal numbers that they're trying to achieve for their nonprofit because in their nonprofits, potentially they're supporting other children or other families with their services. And so I'm curious for your structure, since I know you do so much one-on-one work and it's really people coming to you looking for your service versus you going out and say, you know, creating something within the community specifically to support someone in the community. How do you receive funding for your nonprofit? Are you hosting fundraising events? Are you host, are you going out and, and looking for people to donate to your nonprofit? Yeah, because I know every summer we have what I call like the Learn As You Go campaign. And that basically raises money for study abroad scholarships because overall that's part of our three-part mission statement. Mm-hmm. So that basically goes to that. Basically, one-on-one with my students, that basically pays for our operational costs. And then with developing these different, I right now actually have, been working on different contracts right now I'm getting ready to host the world language teacher summit and that's a huge contract so a lot of times it's just kind of like more or less it's mainly just working with different people Mm. and then that kind of covers us being able to do other things my goal personally is trying to put a little bit more funding towards bigger projects like really with language courses I'm trying to do this in a strategic way where it's not like teaching basics, because I do a lot of market research on other people who have language courses, but it's specifically for professional use and basically being able to structure it to where you're actually being able to form your own thoughts and be able to 
move about freely with the language. So I realized that requires more than just me because that's a really big project. Mm. And so as I'm growing, I realized that I'm going to need more people. So, um, and a lot of these actually require a lot more funding. So that's where grants comes in. And mm. fortunately I have a dad who runs a nonprofit and all he does for the most part is all of his funding comes from grants. So he's the expert. I'm very blessed that I have him as a, as a resource as well basically where a lot of our funding comes from and you have to really be creative mm. it's like sometimes I'm thinking you know I want to take it to the next level but it's like taking it to the next level requires you to take your revenue to the next level yeah. so it's like kind of being creative on figuring out how to grow that revenue it's absolutely. an exponential process yeah absolutely thank you so much for giving more insights around that I'm sure some of our listeners were curious and potentially interested in starting their own nonprofit as well And I think when we think of nonprofits, we think of these large organizations that are providing certain resources for people that have no access to those resources. So I know that you're on a mission to provide affordable, low-cost, or even free access to language education. Can you tell me more about where this mission and vision started and why you feel so connected to sharing affordable language learning resources? Well, it's just because Again, as you mentioned, like in the very beginning, I speak 10 plus languages. So, and a lot of these I've had to learn on my own. And especially because some of the languages I speak are, there's not a lot of resources for like Catalan or even Frisian. And for those of you who don't know, Frisian is the second official language in the Netherlands. (laughs) So some of these rare languages, it's like you have to be creative to find these things. And I realized that a lot of people might invest in something like Babbel They might invest their time into Duolingo, which is like the go-to. But what I'm starting to notice, and I actually, on our YouTube channel, I do a lot of videos where I review a lot of these mainstream language learning apps and uh, even like services like LingoPie, where all you do is just watch videos and TV all day. But, you know, the thing is, is that I'm noticing that you don't have to really pay a whole lot of money or make a lot of financial investments to find it. Because like I said, I became fluent in German just by just finding these resources. And I actually found out that um, some of these different networks in foreign countries, like um, for German, there's a company that's called DW Deutsche Welle. And it's like they do like documentaries, it's news and things like that. But they actually have a whole web section of their website dedicated to learning German because and I think it's a really great strategy where they are trying to teach foreigners this language and then they actually are going to go and watch their broadcasting station. So it's like to get more people to understand their content and then it's like, hey, now watch our content. So I'm like, you know, and that's 100% free because the thing is the broadcasting station, they're funded by advertisements from, you know, being on TV and all of these different things. So they offer free resources. And I just put them there because I'm like, you don't really have to invest in it. And I think that it is a crime for anyone to not grow, to grow up and not be bilingual. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I wish I was bilingual, especially with all the traveling that we've done and just some of the languages, especially Spanish is my favorite one. It's the one I've come closest to studying or speaking it relatively enough to get by. And it's definitely my favorite. And I think that if I was to, when I raise children, I would definitely want them to be bilingual. I think it allows that the things you talked about uh, that you had in France, that barrier to connection, to networking, to other opportunities and to to fully experiencing another culture when you can connect in that way over, you know, language and being able to speak their language. 
So thank you so much for sharing that. I am curious as we are, most of the women in our audience are running or wanting to start an online business. What would you say was the biggest challenge that you've seen within your business growth and how did you overcome that? All right. So the main challenge, especially given what I'm specifically doing, I'm um, just, just as a starting point is trying to get buy-in because Specifically, it's just, I think that's just with any business, it's like trying to develop a network, developing a clientele, developing some form of reputation, which is kind of why I wanted to start on a move, make, making a movement, because it gave me a personal platform to stand on based on other goals, depending on where I decide to transition later on in life. But the biggest challenge is just getting buy-in. And I think mainly because, again, with the foreign language, it's like one of those things where I've noticed a lot of people will say, like, I wish I knew this language or I wish I could do this. And it's trying to get people out of that mindset of let's put action to it. You know, like, especially when I get students who are like in their 40s and I'm like I took French in high school and I don't remember any of it. So I'm, and I realized that now I want to learn it in much more depth. So it's like trying to kind of get people to stop wishfully thinking and actually like, Hey, let's work together on this. You know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I got you. So for those who are interested in starting a nonprofit business, what advice would you give them in terms of the first action steps to take? It sounds like you've kind of given us some ideas of how to overcome obstacles or challenges. What would be the first action step to take if I wanted to start a nonprofit? Get your legalities and in- in place. Like I know like in the US for us, it's like everything goes through the IRS, but at the same time as filing for an employee, employer identification number, then you have to apply for tax exempt status. And that takes, that took me about, that was during the pandemic. So that was about seven mm-hmm. months because you have to wait for it to process. And you can still operate as a nonprofit, but uh, the only difference is that once you get that tax exempt status number, then you can basically there's a lot of things you can really do because there are a lot of services that offer discounted rates or sometimes free services. Notion is what I primarily use for our databases and they actually offer a 50% discount for nonprofits. You just have to show them that determination letter with your tax exempt status and they give it to you. Um, there's some services that offer, like Canva actually offers free pro memberships to nonprofits. So that really helps to kind of take advantage of that because that will save you a lot of costs like um, in the beginning, especially as you're getting started. Um, and from there, it's just more of just doing research. My dad, his first in- inclination is whenever I have a question, he always has a book for everything. And then after a while, you don't want to kind of get stuck in that phase. It's more of like, okay, trying to like applying for a grant, just finding something mm-hmm. that actually fits what your mission is. Like you don't want to apply for a grant where they're like, we're trying to, we're giving like, I don't know, like $10,000 to anyone who is an eco-friendly or like, I don't know, like some eco-friendly nonprofit. That's not going to fit for my goals because that's a, mm-hmm. they're, they're funding completely different interests. So it takes some time to find these grants that are going to be funding something that most likely you're going to get. Because sometimes I was going back and forth with my dad. I'm like, I don't know if I want to write this grant. I feel like I need to need more experience or I need more like education on it. And he's like, the first thing you need to do is write the grant. And if you get rejected, great. Contact them and tell them and ask them what could have been better. And then after a while, it kind of go, goes from there. Mm-hmm. But I always say legalities first. Get your paperwork done because like you want to be legitimate. <laughs> 
you know, knew the right thing. Especially with that timing too, to get that status. Cause once you get that status, like you said, there's other, you know, expenses that are going to be able to be decreased or different access to different, different things with that status. So that's fantastic. And, and as you were speaking, a question came up, I was curious, is there a resource specifically that you go to, to look for these grants? I know that you said your father's already has a lot of experience. So I'm assuming that you've gotten insights from him, but for someone just starting out and looking for grants in their specific field, is there a database? Is there a specific place that they can go to take that first step in finding the right grants? Yeah, there's some, I know that grants.gov is like the go-to because it's just everything. The only thing is that the only thing about databases is that it takes time because you have to go through Mm -hmm. um, and find what you're looking for, but it's like, that's basically the largest pool. Um, for me, I mainly know that through the U.S. Department of Education, they have a whole sector, um, IFL, uh, International Foreign Language Education, and they have all these different types of grants for different things. They've got some for nonprofits, they have some for like higher education institutes, they have some for people who are doing like abroad research. So there's a lot of different options there. So that was more in my lane. So that was where I mostly was looking, especially because there's also cycles. Was, uh, when funding is available. So always keeping track of that as well. But I know grants.gov is my number one. And then also the um, U.S. Department of Education under Eiffel. Amazing. Thank you for those resources. Great places to start. And I'm curious if you had to pick just one thing, what do you think has contributed the most to your business growth and success? I think the best... If I had to pick one thing, this is really hard. I think the mo- the thing that has contributed to the most has mainly been my parents. I honestly think so just because I know it's not like a thing, but it's just yeah. that because they have such a wealth of knowledge, it's like the first thing I do if I have any question of any legalities is basically just asking my dad because he is like, like I said, he'll hand me a book. He'll hand me like he'll write down a name for me. I was asking for like a nonprofit lawyer because I felt like maybe I need to have someone in my contacts. Here you go, you know. So that's like the main thing that's been helping be more successful because again, he's and I think if you've never done something before, you honestly need to find someone who has done it before a million times, you know. So like when it comes to grant writing, my dad has over a period of 30 years accumulated, I think. The nonprofit has had cash flows of like half a million dollars, million dollars through just to fund a lot of his events. So it's like, if that's where I'm trying to, he can do it in his sleep. So I'm like, who wouldn't be better off as a mentor than a resource? Exactly. Yes. What a beautiful relationship and beautiful opportunity that you have there with your family as well, following in his footsteps in a sense, but having that resource to go to. So that's fabulous. I love that that's contributed to your growth and you have that support system. I mean, honestly, in any, in any situation, whether you're a business owner of non, well, just not even just a business owner with anything that you particularly want to do. I think you're shooting yourself in the foot if you think that you know everything and it's going to be fine because I don't know everything. Like I said, you need to find somebody who's done it before and can do it in their sleep and do it, you know, forwards and backwards. Otherwise, you know, it's because like, like I said, we don't know everything. So we have to make sure we're at, we have to admit that and then find somebody who does. It's like kind of like having like your own personal advisor almost. 
Mm, yes, absolutely. I think mentorship or having an advisor or someone you can go to is just so important when you're trying to learn anything new or when you're trying to get your questions answered, especially someone who understands the ins and outs of your industry as well. So as we're wrapping up here, I have a couple uh, fun questions I wanted to ask you. And the first one is that I know there are many world travelers in our audience who love picking up languages as they move around. And as a language teacher, I was wondering, do you have any tips or tricks that you can share with us to make language learning easier? That's a really hard, it's really hard because I have so many because, (laughs) you know, like I said, for me, I am a language learner. So I just kind of teach what I particularly know. Um, Like what's really helpful is you have to make sure it's a part of your, it's useful as part of your everyday life. Duolingo is great. Like these are great tools to start, but Mm -hmm. if you're trying to have a point where you're trying to be really proficient and you want to communicate, build relationships, use this in a very much more deeper way, then it's more about you need to live and breathe this language like it is your own native language. So if you listen to music, I promise you there is somebody who is creating music in a genre that you normally listen to. Mm-hmm. And that really helps with pronunciation because a lot of times we learn the lyrics and sometimes after a while I just start imitating and then that actually helps with my accent. When it comes to just building sentences, don't learn words and phrases because people sometimes feel like I want to know that, but it's like all these words that you don't know how to use. And it's a lot of times like phrases, you don't want to be like a one trick pony where it's like, these are all the things I know how to say. Looking at how that language sentence, they structure their sentences and then going from left to right. So in French, it's very much subject, verb, object. So what are the subject pronouns? I, you, he, she, they, we. And then from there, it's looking at verb conjugation. How do I kind of match those with the subject pronouns? And then from there, it's noticing a pattern because conjugation is just a pattern. And I always have to do that with my students. And then from there, it's looking at objects. That's where you learn masculine and feminine. It's a gendered language. And then learning from there how to build a simple sentence. And then from there, looking at maybe um, connector words, like conjunctions, things like that, and how to expand on it. So it's like, if I'm trying to say, like, I like dogs, I think that's a simple sentence. And then expanding on it later on, like, okay, I like dogs because, and then whatever the reason is to expand on it. I feel like sometimes people try to learn so much at fast. So they want to learn everything so quickly. And it's like, you can't, it's overwhelming. And then you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to give up. Yeah. I feel like I'm, you said one trick pony. I feel like when I, cause I live in Playa del Carmen part-time and when I'm down there, I have my sentences that I know. And if someone asks me something outside of that, I know enough that like you're talking about this sentences, I can string it together, but because I'm such a perfectionist, I love when I can say those sentences I know like so well, cause they come out so good in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then when I have to actually put, like you said, when I've taken lessons and put sentences together or have some curveballs. That's where I got stuck sometimes. So I'm definitely that one trick pony. If you ever come across me in Playa del Carmen, uh, you will hear me saying the same five to 10 (laughs) sentences throughout my day. So that's just made me laugh when you said that. So I have one last question for you. And I ask this to all of our guests, as you know, this is the Freedom Filled Life podcast. So I wanted to know how has starting your own business led to more freedom and fulfillment in your life? I feel like mostly, like, even going back to the way 
why I started it was because I wanted to give, I want to share the experience. I can speak these languages and I'm doing it for such a long time. And when every time I travel, their experiences are enriching. And I feel like it's about sharing that with other people. And it's even better when you can do it and be able to be familiar with the language and the culture. I kind of make sure I don't neglect culture because that's just as important as learning the language itself. Part of it is I love traveling because, again, I love just being in new environments. I It's kind of like where sometimes people don't like being in environments where they don't understand things. I actually do because I love challenging myself. And I love figuring it out. Overall, like sharing those experiences. That's just the main mission. I'm usually trying to get inspired to find different ways of how can I get other people to do this. It's just exciting because I'm sharing the experiences and the stories from other people too. Because one of our biggest projects that's coming up soon is I'm working on a completely different podcast. I did one that was all about my au pair journey because I want everyone to know the good and the bad about it. I wanted to share that experience with someone else who may want to go, go walk through that door. But then I also want to work on a new project where I'm sharing stories from other people and what their experiences are like. I want to share experience what it's like to live somewhere, what it's like to study somewhere, what it's like to sometimes be in relationships with people who may be of different cultures than you, because um, I know people who've had those experiences as well as myself, and I just want people to be more connected. That makes me happy, because I feel like sometimes there's a lot of discrimination and things going on in the world, and I feel like if we can find ways to kind of bridge that and try to understand one another. I feel like I've done my job. I love that. What a beautiful response. Thank you for sharing that with us. And so Jazz, if someone wants to connect with you after this podcast, where is the best place to do that? You can mainly find me on Instagram. I am at language and people. And then also you can always send me an email. My email is jazzcole at languageandpeople.org. I'm more, I'm on my email more than I am on my phone honest with you. I love when people reach out. I love that. I will include that in the show notes as well. And I know that you have a downloadable study abroad planner. Can you tell us more a little bit about that and how we can get our hands on that? Yeah, I created that um, actually last year when I was hosting a um, study abroad webinar that was specifically uh, targeting uh, college students, but I know that sometimes people want to go back to school. I know I want to, I'm planning on at some point in the future going to get my master's abroad. And so it's 12 months um, of basically preparing if you wanted to be taught in another language abroad. And so you're preparing to take language exams to say proficient. I know in France, you have to take the DELF exam, which is basically a proficiency test. There's the DAAD and German, Germany. And so basically it's more of having a 12 month plan from monthly to quarterly on how you're going to, how you're going to plan that out. Amazing. So we'll include that link in the show notes if anybody is interesting in reaching language requirements to study abroad. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jazz, and having such an interesting conversation around nonprofit business structures, as well as how we can become better at learning a new language. So thank you for being here. And thank you as always to everybody listening and tuning in, and I will see you in the next episode.